Hey, welcome to Kingsway Caringba. We are a community inspired by love to live differently. I'm Dave, one of the pastors here. It's so great to have you with us. We pray this teaching will inspire you, build your faith, and lead you to a life of fullness and freedom in Jesus. Enjoy the message. Two weeks ago, I spoke a message about the Word and being drawn into a place of wonder. And it's um, just the grace of right that two weeks later we have this moment you know, Grant has and the team have just led us in where it is um, what is revealed to us in God's Word creates a space and a place, an environment where the Holy Spirit brings to life what was read and it, and it comes alive in our hearts and in our minds and it does something within us as His family. And I was just so thankful to have that moment of wonder. You know, it's just evidence of what God's Word perpetually does. It begets wonder upon wonder upon wonder as we look at the grace and the mercy and the beauty of God through His Word. That more and more as we do so together as His family, we will have an experience moments together like that. So thank you, Grant. And, um, and to our other worship leaders and team as well, because they do put in... Um, a lot of prayer and labour in uh, how they're going to lead us um, each week in our worship. So um, thank you. Um, Robin, can you come back, please? I'm going to flag this with you a couple of weeks ago. Robin shared with me a vision um, that I feel is very appropriate for us um, as we finish out this four-week series. And um, you just, yeah, you can hit that mic. Why not, hey? And then... Um, <laughs> Yeah, so just just start. I guess start from the start, Robin, yeah, and uh, okay. where we got to two weeks ago. Um, it's a bit. Um, in July of two thousand and nineteen, after the service, we were asked just to wait on God, and I have shared it before, but it's pertinent for us right now. And the vision was, um, I saw us here. And I've never quite experienced something quite like it in terms of it was so tangible, it was so real. It was like so wonderful. And what it was was from here I saw the throne of God but a river, the river of life, which I think was the river of life just flowing down over us, through us, and in this amazing river with all these sparkling jewels of every different colour that you could imagine and words can't really give justice to it but if you could just imagine coming right from here down to us as these people and I saw us all being immersed, washed in it and there was that sense of wonder like it was just amazing, like it was like the sunfish face that, but not quite like that, <laughs> that Dave gave us a couple of weeks ago with that sense of wonder. And then um, when Dave sent out that email um, at the beginning of going, um, going down deep, and Jeff drew my attention to it and he said, hey, that email he sent out, that sounds like your vision. And that was over 18, the vision that God gave me, not my vision, but the vision God shared with me. And um, it was like 18 months later, Dave got the download on it. And I just think God had prepared that over 18 months ago for his people. And you know those words, even when we don't see that he's working, even when we don't feel he's working, he never stops working. And that was just so exciting. And then October of last year, I asked, um, it was my birthday, I said, oh, can you just give me, you know, I'm getting older, so, you know, you're supposed to get more dreams and visions. So I said, Lord, could I have some more of that? So then he gave me the second instalment of that vision. And it was simply that I then saw us as his people taking the jewels that we were attracted to that were around us, and we took it out. And then that, if you read back to that email, that then spoke. Dave saw that we as his people, things are going to change. We're in that river of life. We're going to go out. There'll be fruitfulness. So 
all the words. Read that email again. I had it out, but it's, it's so powerful. You know, we know God's leading day, but God's in this, and he prepared this for us 18 months ago. So who knows what God's got for us as we take this in and as we... as as Dave leads us and as God's appointed and all of us to read John and let's see. I'm excited what God's doing, even though we don't see it, but he's working. So, yeah, just share that with you. River of God, like a jewel. It's beautiful. Thank you, Robin. And it's so true. Last year we preached a series through Ruth called Behind the Scenes and the evidence of God working even when we don't see it is so profound and that is an incredible example. So thank you for sharing, uh, Robin. And if um, I could um, say again that this morning, that sense of um, the jewels in the river that you saw, I believe that the word today um, will bolster that even more. So buckle up, church. It's going to be um, it's going to be good today. I'm, I'm feeling excited. We're going to read the word together uh, from Luke chapter 10. If you've got your Bible, um, if you don't, it will be on the screen. And uh, we're going to read verse 1 to 12, and then we're going to skip 13, 14, 15, 16, and then read 17, 18, 19, and 20. So Luke chapter 10, starting at verse number 1. That is in your Bibles, big 10, little 1. Otherwise, it's just there. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others. Um, Others, as in, in... Uh, Luke chapter 9, Jesus had appointed his 12, and just in a few sentences later, we see him appointing another 72 on top of them, and he sent them on ahead of him, Um, Jesus having at this point been spending all of his time around his um, city and village and the Sea of Galilee and all of the surrounding areas of ministry, healing people, uh, feeding 5,000, calming storms. Um, he'd, he'd been doing all kinds of things. Uh, he was now setting out on a one-way trip to Jerusalem. And this, this mob of 72, uh, he sent on ahead of him. Uh, he sent them two by two into every town and every place where he himself was about to go. Uh, There's things in bold up there. That's just for me um, and for you because they're the things I'm going to be preaching about this morning. Two by two, every town uh, and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your own town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town." Fast forward four verses, verse 17. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, he says, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. If I was to pull one thread from last week's message and uh, use it as the first stitch in today's uh, message, it is that we as the church are called to be the temple of God in our world today. That uh, pre-temple, uh, pre-Je- sorry, the temple pre-Jesus, 
was the place where heaven and humanity met, where they interfaced, where they intersected. And fast forward to the New Testament, uh, Jesus coming to earth being fully man and fully God at the same time was the new temple. It was the place where heaven and humanity intersected. The bodily presence of God on earth, Emmanuel, God with us, present in time and space, was the new temple. However, following Jesus' death, it seemed uh, to appear that the new temple, the idea of God being present in humanity, was now buried. It was in a cave. It was gone, never to return. Our hopes have been dashed to ever have God present with us again. However, we know that Jesus didn't stay there, that he rose from the dead, and when he went to the we know that through the sending of the Holy Spirit, um, he immerses and fills those who confess him as Lord and Saviour. And now this is our calling, to be spreaders of the presence and partners with God in renewal. That is our calling. You might think that you're a tradie. You might think that you're a teacher. You might think that you're a student. You might think that you're a builder. You might think that you're a nurse. You may think you whatever profession it is, but your highest calling is to be a spreader of God's presence who just happens to be able to be good at the thing that you do. And so when somebody says to you in conversation this week, so what do you do? Just feel free. I'm a spreader of the presence, baby. I just happen to build good homes. (laughs) We are, until the return of Christ's plan, God's plan A, for where and how heaven and earth meet. Where people see and experience God and where the manifestation of God's nature, his character and his purpose are lived out in the time and space of 2021 and beyond. We are the peanut butter to the toast, called to spread the presence from edge to edge to all four corners, to the extremities of our lives. Father, we thank you so much that right in this moment as we open your word, there is nobody that we would rather have present than yourself. That in all all of your loving kindness, you meet us right now. Regardless of the week that we have had, regardless of the way that we have seen ourselves even this morning, Father, that you are right here, and that you are good and you are kind, and you are revealing yourself to us in greater measure this morning, for which I give you thanks. Pray, Lord, that we would be the best peanut butter in this world, that we would be spread from edge to edge and be spreaders of your presence. In Jesus' name, amen. So the sending of the 72. This, um, for me, is an incredible moment in Scripture. Uh, It is a a moment where up until this point, the locus of um, power and uh, ministry was all centered around Jesus and um, now more nearly his 12 disciples uh, that he had picked to be on his team. People had been healed around Jesus and his 12 disciples. Um, He had calmed the storms. They'd fed the 5,000. A lot had happened around Jesus this Jesus and the locus of control and power and ministry around him. However, this moment, the sending of the 72, was the moment that the power of the gospel was placed into the hands of ordinary, everyday people. See, the things of the kingdom have never just been for the trained The things of God's kingdom have never just been for the religious elite or the mature Christian who's been to Bible study. The things of God's kingdom are not reserved just for those who can pray really well out loud or play a guitar or sing a song. The things of God's kingdom is for all people. And the counting of God's kingdom is not a job for career Christians. It was, is, and always will be a calling for everyday, ordinary, imperfect people who are learners, who are listeners, and are people who desire to live for more than themselves. 
The sending of this 72 marked the beginning of an uncontained kingdom. The time where people were no longer added, but a time when the Jesus movement multiplied. You know, as I think about this and I put myself in that moment, I think, what a time to be alive. What a, what a moment to be in as one of the 72. And Jesus is right there in the locker room saying, hey, I've picked you and I'm, I'm sending you and I'm sending you in all the power and in all of the authority and nothing's going to harm you. Uh, I'm, and I'll just be like, no, like in this surreal, no way, how is this happening to me kind of moment? What a time to be alive. You know, just that moment where Jesus would side up to you and give you a slap on the back and a, a kick up the backside and say, hey, go and grab your mates and go and tell the world. So I don't want to treat this passage this morning as a model for mission or suggest that if you follow these particular steps that you'll see revival explode around you. I think that this Luke chapter 10 sending of the 72 ought to be far more descriptive than it is prescriptive on the way to live as people on God's mission. This is not a must-follow eight or ten-step checklist to be effective in mission, but a story in which we can find ourselves draw meaning and significance as we see ourselves as sent ones into the context of our own lives. And for want of a better metaphor, because I put everything I had into the peanut butter one, um, is that this morning I would just like to be your tour guide. That as we just uh, wade our way through Luke chapter 10, there are some points of interest that I would like to draw your attention to. So the very first point of interest is that Jesus sent the 72, not as 72, but as 36 pairs of two. He sent them out two by two in pairs. And I want to start this morning by saying that discipleship and mission mutually exclusive activities in the life of a Christian or a church, and we need to stop treating them like they are. That somewhere along the line, this idea that some qualification is required uh, before someone could serve Jesus became a thing. I'm not sure whether it was with the emergence of the modern education system, where people would go to a classroom for two, three, four, six, eight, ten, twelve years to learn, and then once they've learned and done all of the theory, that they could then go out and apply that in practice. Uh, I'm not sure whether that's where it came from, but it's an idea that, in my opinion, has stifled the church. So the modern education system was born on this idea of theorem, praxis, theorem, as in theory, practice, theory. Uh, get in the classroom and learn, and then go out and apply that, whatever you learnt and then come back to the classroom and we'll think more about it and we might refine some things and then we'll have better understanding of what is um, going on around the world. Uh, but what we see in the scripture is the opposite. It is Jesus operating on this model of praxis, theory, praxis, as in go and do, then learn, then go and do again. In the power of the Holy Spirit, have a crack, learn from the experience together, and we'll go and have another crack, knowing what we know now, but more importantly, having our hearts transformed in the way that they have been. So there is enough evidence in this text to suggest that the 72 were pretty wet behind the ears, as in really young and inexperienced in faith. Their classroom was not that of brick and mortar, textbooks and texts, uh, tests, desks and pencils, but being sent from town to town, house to house, learning what following Jesus looked like alongside each other on the way of life. And if I could give you my working definition of discipleship, it is just that, following and serving Jesus alongside others on the way of life. Now, today I'm speaking to going deeper into discipleship and mission. 
And I believe that discipleship happens in the context of mission, that they don't exist as separate things. We don't just disciple each other and disciple our kids and then go and be about mission. Luke chapter 10 is evidence enough for us to suggest, to be very clear in fact, that the way that we find out who Jesus is, his power, his character, his nature, his goodness, his power to do all of the things we see in Scripture happens in the context of our going. And not in our going alone, but going together. Discipleship and mission go hand in glove. Two by two is the context and the classroom for how we learn to follow Jesus as his disciples. So don't go it alone. I mean, who is God partnering you up with right now? Now, I asked the question around the reading of uh, the Bible as a church. Now, is, is God placing somebody on your heart to read the Bible with? Now, there's a great two by two moment. I mean, it's a challenge in my own life, and I would challenge all of us as a church, you know, from our worship leaders to the people who pray to the people who do sound to the people who greet on the door to the people who make coffee to the people who are serving kids' programs. Who are you taking with you? Who is it that the Lord is siding you up alongside to go on the two-by-two along the way of life journey together that you together? may learn and impart what it means to be a follower of Jesus in your lives. And on the tips of our tongues should be the, hey, come with me everywhere we go. If you're praying for someone, hey, young person, come with me. Hey, friend, come with me. Because it's in our two-by-two-ness that we get to disciple one another and understand the full God is. Don't go it alone. And we continue on. There's this moment where Jesus sends them, and he's sending them where he himself was about to go. Where he himself was about to go. As spreaders of the presence, we are preparers of the way. A couple of years ago, I preached a message called, Be a Harbinger. Who remembers Be a Harbinger? A couple of you. I can't remember what I had for breakfast, so you're doing better than me. But a Harbinger, H-A-R-B-I-N-G-E-R, is the name given to a team of people who are sent ahead of a king or an official as approaching their next destination. They were responsible for making a way for the official party or the king to get there with the greatest ease. The harbingers would build bridges, they would remove obstacles, they would make uh, literally cut sides of mountains to create new roads so the king could make his way to where he was going. And here is where you and I come in as harbingers. We are sent two by two, serving, praying, caring, healing, preaching. We are preparing the way for the king to stride into the lives of people in our world for him to do his thing. As spreaders of the presence, we are preparers of the way. So be a harbinger. Remove the obstacles of religion standing in the way of people. And how can we make a way for God is speak well of the church. You know, how can we make a way for King Jesus to step into people's lives? Invite people into what God is doing in your life. How can you prepare a way? Serve others in a way that builds bridges, clears the roads of injustice with your voice and action and in so we prepare the way for King Jesus to enter lives and situations and change them. The spreaders of the present prepare the way. The 72 were sent to every place where Jesus himself was on his way to. That they, like John the Baptist, would be saying, there's someone coming. That's not me, but there's someone coming after me. And that is what the spreaders of the presence do. As we go, we prepare the way for what God is doing in the lives of those that he wants to touch. Be a harbinger. Jesus continues on with his, I guess, instruction, uh, with his locker room chat. And he says, pray. Therefore, pray. In this moment, Jesus highlights a 
a problem that this 72 are here to solve. He says the harvest is plentiful. That on the way that I can see where you're about to go and where I'm sending you, there are droves of people, entire communities and families who are hungering to know Messiah, to know Jesus, to know the hope and salvation that has been promised to the Jewish people because that's who they were going to. They were on the road to Jerusalem. There are droves of people who are ripe. There is a harvest that is plentiful. But there's only 72 of us. And not only that, I've halved you and made you 36 groups. Only 36 groups of us in the face of such an enormous harvest. In face of so many people who are ripe to hear the gospel. Now, there are many challenges that confront us as we go out into the world to share the good news. Many challenges to go in front of us as we go and we pray for people, as we pray for healing, as we go to prepare the way for Jesus. The answer to our problems is prayer. In fact, even before we know the question, prayer is the answer. Prayer must precede our mission and it must also permeate our Now I'm wondering if you are the answer to a long prayed prayer in this community or possibly someone that you know. Now there is a harvest of young people, a harvest of children and youth right before our very eyes. In fact, they're walking past the door right now, and I did not stage that. What God is doing in bringing children and young people our way, whether it's through mainly music, whether it's through D crew, whether it's through our Friday night youth, whether it's even here on Sunday mornings. There is something that God is up to among the young people and children of our community. There is a harvest in their lives for the fruitfulness of God's kingdom and the future of his church, not just this church, but the church that ought to captivate our attention, our prayer and our energy. You know, I have a sense that what we are preparing the way for is for Jesus to bring revival among the kids and the youth of our community. Never has culture and the world let our kids down like it has right now. Never have the challenges facing our teens been so testing. Never has there been such disparity between the promise of the possibility that new and emerging technologies would bring to connect our young people, yet the reality of loneliness that so many of them experience is frightening. I mean, I'm not going into the stats of what the impacts of mental health are having on our young people in relation to self-harm and suicide and to all of the questions around sexuality and identity. But I do know that our young people are yearning for connection, for authenticity, for adults to care and to listen. They are looking for genuine faith in genuine people who can lead them, teach them, mentor them, disciple them and take them on the journey of faith as they work out their place in this crazy world. So church, I'm asking you, to them will we go? Because there is a harvest within the community of this church, but within the wider community of our surrounding suburbs. The harvest is plentiful, but the reality is that the workers are far and few between. Avril, Ruth, Chrissy, Denny, Mon, these women are doing an absolutely incredible job of discipling your young people and our young people. We've been praying for men to arise in our youth ministry and in our kids' ministries to show the way forward and to disciple 
and to be on mission among our young people. I'm wondering if it's you. Because there is a harvest for this, not for this church, but that's part of it. There is a harvest for God's kingdom found in the fields of the light of young people in our community. So he says, pray. The answer to that problem is prayer. And so, friends, can I call you this week to pray? Can I call you to pray that God would release, that he would bring along maybe the people who we are praying for aren't even part of this church community yet? Maybe they don't even know Jesus yet. But can I ask you to pray that God would bring in the workers for the harvest field for our kids and youth because they are our priority. I mean, I love you older people as well. You're wonderful. But can you pray that God would bring along the workers for the harvest field for our young people? Jesus then carries on after he go and pray for more workers because the harvest is plentiful. There's fruit hanging from every branch on the way. He goes and says this. Go your way. We've lost it on the screen. It's all good. Don't worry, Burns. You know dramas, mate. All good. Don't don't stress. Um, Go your way. Three very simple words, but I think that have profound meaning. Mission is not separate from your daily life. The way you go each day is the ground that the Lord has prepared you to carry his presence across. Jesus didn't say, I'm not telling you, uh, or he didn't say, I'm telling you where to go, or he didn't say, I'm telling you which route to take to get to Jerusalem. He didn't give them a map and say, I want you to stop here, and I want you to stop here, and I want you to stop here. He said, I want you to go your way. You know, this wouldn't have been the first journey that the disciples, who were Jewish, mind you, would have taken to Jerusalem. The road to Jerusalem was one that they took at least three times a year for their religious feasts, for Passover, for Pentecost, for Feast of Booths. They would have had their favourite street vendors along the way. They would have had friends and family connections on the road. They would have had their favourite place to get their hot bread and coffee for breakfast. They would have had their favourite fishmonger who prepared for them meals and fresh seafood. They would have had their favourite alehouse where in the afternoons after a long walk they would have been able to stop for a cold beer or a cup of tea. Jesus sent them along familiar paths to familiar people and familiar locations but this time with a different mindset. The goal of their going was no longer a religious duty, but a missional calling. See, the religiosity of our habits is a real thing. I mean, each day I generally get coffee at the same place. I buy my meat from the same butcher. I shop at the same same shops. I buy my fuel generally from Dino's at Miranda. It's on the way. I go to the same gym most mornings. I get my hair cut at the same (laughs) saloon, salon. I buy my fishing tackle from the same store. I interact with the same people and follow them online. What if we, like the 72, had a mind shift in our day? that we're no longer are the familiar paths and familiar places and the familiar people simply part of your daily ritual, but they are the avenues for your missional calling to be lived out. I mean, maybe a morning prayer that could change the game for you and others is, Lord, as I go my way today, may I be a spreader of your presence. Amen. I'm just thinking about what that will shift in our minds. That no longer is the religiosity of our daily habits which are necessary for survival. Coffee, (laughs) meat, fishing tackle, (laughs) whatever they things might be for you. 
where you exercise, who you hang out with, the familiar places, spaces, and people are no longer just the ritualistic religious habits that we have in our lives, but they are the very avenues and roadways that God is using for you to live out your missional calling, to be a spreader of the presence and a partner of God in renewal. And Jesus gives then a pretty hectic um, mandate to these guys and girls. Carry no money bag. Take no knapsack. No sandals and greet nobody on the road. Now, critical to being a disciple of Jesus who lives a life on mission as they go their way is traveling light. You know, I love how Jesus gathered and inspired the 72. He cast his vision to them, called them to prayer, empowered them in their daily lives that they were about to embark on. And he says, Oh, by the way, don't expect to get paid or to be able to provide for yourself. You won't have time to shop for souvenirs on this trip, so don't worry about taking a bag. Forget the sandals. I don't know why, that's a bit rough. (laughs) Do it barefoot, he says. It'll remind you that following me is costly and a little uncomfortable. And keep your head low on the road. Just stay focused on where you're going. Now, the call to follow Jesus is a life of simplicity and focus. A call to travel light and not be bound by the stuff of the world. A call to leave behind the weightiness and attachment to earthly things. A call away from comforts that lead to apathy. And a call away from the superfluous and peripheral things which easily distract us. If COVID has done anything for the church, it has brought a renewed simplicity and focus to us. When I describe to people when they ask the question of what, is, what do you think God's doing in the church through all of this, you know, as we went through last year and even into this year, and I describe it like this, that COVID has grabbed the church by the ankles and it's turned it upside down and it's shaken it like a bully looking for lunch money. And all of the peripheral and non-essential superfluous of over-programmed, over-measured and over-hyped experiences and events has fallen from the church's pockets. There is a new season of worship, of discipleship and of mission that is being born from a return to the beautiful simplicity of God's living presence and a focus on what matters most loving God and loving others with every fibre and resource that we have. That these are exciting times for God's church. That the things that don't matter or have mattered less now than what they did are named and they are before us. Over-programming things, over-hyping things, over-measuring things, over this, over that, and our return to the simple things. God's word, the breaking of bread together in his presence, being on his mission, loving one another as brothers and sisters in the body which we are. There is a return to the simple things. I have called it the great reorientation. That's what I think God has done over the last 12 months. For too long, the compass of faith has been spinning at dizzying speeds as the church has had to shift and adapt and change or not as culture has bolted from the message of the cross. Now it is the time for us to come back to the Word, to come back to life-on-life mentoring and discipleship, to come back to the purity of the message of grace, come back to loving people more than programs and ideas. A return to people following Jesus on their way of everyday life. A return to faith personally owned and not delegated to podcasts and preachers. Simplicity leads us to trust him and focus leads us to greater effectiveness. I believe that as we stay focused on God's word, as we stay focused on God's wonder, 
as we stay focused, being his delighted in bride, a healthy body, a resilient family, a vessel for his presence, we will see the effectiveness of our efforts in evangelism and discipleship and projects of healing and renewing increase exponentially as we focus on what matters most. And Jesus goes on and he says, as you go, as you go your way, don't take anything, just simplify, stay focused. Uh, when you get to somebody's house, I want you to say, peace be house. So the gift we've been given to give away is the gift of peace. And Jesus say, forget going to the neighbor's house with the box of Cadbury favourites and cheap wine that you were tempted to buy on the way. Take my peace. What do you take when there's nothing else to take? They'd say Cadbury's. We take God's peace. The deposit of God in our hearts is the gift of peace, as the word describes it, a peace that surpasses all understanding, a peace that guards the heart and mind in Christ Jesus. This kind of peace doesn't make sense in a world of transactions and power, yet that is the strength of it. In a world where peace has been cheapened to a commodity that can be bought or sold or grabbed at by powerful hands, we are the carriers of a quiet and subversive peace that settles the anxiety of life's systems. As spreaders of the presence, we are carriers of a quiet and subversive peace that brings calm and healing to life systems. It doesn't come through coercion or power or policy. It comes through you and I being like Jesus, a non-anxious presence in a chaotic world. So as you go, peace from me to you, peace upon this house, prayers of blessing, ways of speaking well to your neighbours and of your neighbours. Peace be to this house. The back part of Jesus' instruction, and we're nearly done, he says, heal the sick and say to them, the kingdom of God has come to you. The kingdom of God has come near to you. And can I remind you of what happened in Ezekiel's vision that I shared from four weeks ago? That as the river of life flowed from the temple, as, as that water cut its path through the desert, through places of desolation, life began to emerge. As the fresh water hit the Dead Sea, life erupted. What was dead came to life again. What was broken got healed. What was lacking became abundant and what was buried rose again. Such is the power of the kingdom of God which is here. It is a kingdom of resurrection, a kingdom of power to heal, to restore, and to renew. And as spreaders of the presence, we are the very flow of God through the desolate and barren lands of this broken and dying world. We are the carriers of the freshly oxygenated water drawn from the deep, deep well of God's heart for the healing of sick hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. As you go your way to the shop, to the servo, to the butcher, to the hairdresser, to the gym, to work, to school, to soccer, you go with the power to heal. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it's living by God's power. The power of God's kingdom within us as we go. We have an announcement written on our very hearts. The kingdom of God is near. You know, when you sit alongside, and I was sitting alongside a guy, more, there's another sauna story, by the way, sitting in the sauna with a guy the other day. And he's got one of those prison anklets on, you know, the ones that if you're a real, done something real bad, that's not, that's not just like stole a loaf of bread and um, one thing or another. It's, that's that anklet. That's a serious piece of kit that says you're, you've done something. And he's, a, he's kind of a scary-looking dude. He's about nine foot tall and about 16 feet wide. He can bench press the gym. 
Um, anyway, it was just him and I. He had his big headphones on. I said, how you going, bro? Like <laughs> a little squeaky voice. <laughs> Didn't hear me, uh, thankfully. And I sat down and, and um, I just started praying in the spirit. You know, and I was just praying, man, the kingdom of God is here for this guy because I'm here. And I don't, know, I, was, I don't know what God was doing as I was praying, but the very fact that you and I step into places and alongside those, and I don't know what his uh, understanding or his relationship of Jesus is like. Maybe he's on fire. and Maybe in that moment the Lord was just encouraging him through my prayer. But maybe, just maybe, because in that moment the kingdom of God was in that 500-degree sauna we were sweating bullets that in that very moment maybe just maybe something of the kingdom of God came alive in this guy's heart wherever you go there is an announcement on your life that the kingdom is here I'll get the band to come back up and as exciting as the sending of the 72 for me is the returning of the 72 it says us that the 72 returned with joy, with joy. You know, such is the upside downness of God's kingdom. You get sent out like Jesus, like a lamb among wolves. And we don't have wolves in Australia, we have foxes. And I've seen what foxes can do to lambs. I'm not going to go into any detail, but it's not pretty. We are sent out and told not to take anything else. We're told to leave behind comfort and security. We are told to trust God for where our very next meal comes from. We are told to run the risk of coming across people who will reject us and our message. You know, it would not be out of place if in verse 17 we read that the 72 returned exhausted, that the 72 returned dejected, that the 72 returned burnt out, complaining, cranky, tired, handing back to the keys to Jesus and saying, thanks, but no thanks. Instead, these wet behind the ears, still working it out as they went, Jesus followers returned to Jesus overwhelmed with joy. And my sense is this morning that as the presence is here with us, that the Lord wants to heal hearts that have been robbed of their joy. That somewhere along the way, there has been something of your joy taken from you. That maybe it was 30, 40 years ago that the Lord called your name and sent you into a life following Him. Maybe it was last week. But I know for me that there is a, a daily battle to not have my joy taken away by all the things that the world would throw at me, by all of the anxieties and worries of my mind and my life to fight for the joy of the Lord to be my own. And for many of you, the constant onslaught of life's unpredictability and change, carrying the work of the, the load of family or study and family responsibility, let alone trying to live a life of mission in the midst of all of that has depleted your internal resources. And it feels like you're more often returning, maybe even to this environment, let alone to Jesus himself, tired, exhausted, Anxious, worn out, maxed out. You know, maybe you're on the cusp of those two words, I'm done. And my prayer is that as John, as Jesus says in John 15, 11, that as these things have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. As Paul says in Romans 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. As I want us to stand this morning, I'm going to um, pray for all of us because I think that there would be something of God's joy that we can all receive. And so let's stand together. that this life we are called into of joining with other people in our two-by-two-ness, 
that as we go on our way of life, that as we follow the places that the Lord would take us to, the familiar people and places, as we live out our calling and our mission, as we trust Him and we focus on what He's given for us to do, as He called us to go and take the kingdom and to heal the sick, that the defining factor for a Jesus follower ought to be joy. And so let's pray to that end this morning that this would be a family of people filled with God's joy. And you see what the joy was, wasn't the fact that they came back and said, you're not going to believe it, Jesus. The demons listen to us. Let's pop the party, pop, throw a party. You know, we've got all power over all these things. Jesus is like, yeah, that's nothing, man. I saw, I saw Satan fall from heaven like a lightning bolt. Whack, you should have been there to see that. That's, what you've seen is nothing. He's, Don't rejoice in the fact that you've got power and all authority and you know, have fun with it. But rejoice that your name is written in the book of eternity. Rejoice that your name will be called by the Father. Rejoice that your name is known by the Lord. Rejoice that you are His. Rejoice that you are chosen. Rejoice that you are a child. Rejoice that you are loved. Rejoice that grace has been afforded to you. Rejoice that Jesus has made a way. Rejoice that you are a son and a daughter of the King. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray right now that your joy would fill our hearts again this morning. Father, that for all of the things that would want to rob it, Father, I pray that those power, those things would be powerless in Jesus' name. That the sufficiency of Jesus' blood shed on the cross for us and the power of resurrection to us right now restores our joy in Jesus' name. That, Father, as we go, we would go with joy. As we love people, we would do so with joy. As we go about our daily lives, we'd do so knowing, Lord God, that we are people of joy because we are written into the name of heaven forever and ever and ever. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed by this teaching. If you'd like to connect with us, make a financial gift, or find out more about Kingsway Churches, head to kingsway.org.au. Have a good one.